We'd like all the kiddos to come on up. We'll give them their blessing before they head out on their way to children of worship. If any kids want to come on up. Harrison, don't make me do this alone. Come on. Oh, thanks, guys. I got a couple of you guys. Oh, thanks, Landon. <laughs> I feel the same way, bud. Don't worry. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so the Lord be with you and also with you. Oh, you guys are free to go on that now. Sorry. Good morning. Good morning. Gary Hall and I did not coordinate his uh, little comment there that you're the best-looking congregation around, but I agree, Gary Hall. They are looking good today. All right. It is a beautiful Sunday morning, and I am once again very glad to have the chance to, to share with you so that we may worship God together. The verse today comes from Matthew 2, Verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw when his star arose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered together all of the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked, Where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, are by no means the least of the rulers. For out of you will come one who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi to him secretly and asked them for the exact time when they had seen the star. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and seek carefully the child, and when you find him, Come report back to me, so I may go worship him too. When they had heard from the king, they went on their way. And the star that had risen went before them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the place, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their country by a different route. Let us pray. Lord, in in the word that you give us, in the stories that you unfold for us, in the grace and mercy that you show us, you light the way for us to understand you more. May that be so this morning. Amen. Oh, honey. <laughs> Thank 
So he knows many words. He also knows the word amen. <laughs> they did not teach him that in guide dog school. Life with Nimmer has given him that. <laughs> so you just wait for another one in a while, buddy. Okay. Funny, funny. Isn't there such joy in this season? In that story, we have all kinds of joy wound up together. We have the report of the birth of Jesus, and then in this segment of Scripture, we have the aftermath, and we see how that report of the birth of Jesus has affected others. While it is beautiful to see how Mary and Joseph came to greet Jesus in the birth in the manger, it is equally wonderful to have the chance to see how the reports of that birth affected others. After all, we are those others. We weren't there on the day of. We hear about the birth, and now we react to it. And in this passage, we see the Magi, high, royal, important, wise people in this time, hear about and act upon the birth of Christ. We see how they travel from afar, and we see them following a star. That star is such a beautiful image. It is light, it is guidance, and they seek it. They ask when they need direction, where is the Messiah? And they're asking alerts King Herod of the birth. And the king tries to use them for his own ends to locate this child. His motives are not noble. He hopes to wipe out any hope of a new king rising up and threatening his power. He, in asking them to report back where this child exactly is, is not wanting to worship Jesus. He is wanting to kill Jesus. But the Magi go forward again, following the star, and they find what they were looking for. And they worship, and they give gifts, and they return another way to their homeland. It is the gifts that I want to focus on today. When I was a little child, that part of the story of gold, frankincense, and myrrh always confused me. I wondered what those gifts were, what they were to the Magi of that time, what they might have been to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and what they tell us today. So the focus of today's message will dive deeply into what these gifts are, what they meant, what they mean, and what they tell us for how to use our own gifts. So first, an overview of the gifts themselves, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. Theologian Scott James does a good job of explaining just the actuality of what those gifts are. So I think gold is the one we can understand the most. Um, even today, gold is a highly valued metal. It is tied to richness. Um, it is something by which people can either hold on to something valuable, or trade and purchase other things. And in this time, gold was pretty much the same thing. Gold was a sign of wealth. Gold was a sign, even at various places in the Bible, that there was the possibility of trade, of purchase. 
of forward movement. Gold was also an indication of royalty, and the Magi were royal. Frankincense. Frankincense is the inner resin scraped off from a tree and burned for a very specific, unique fragrance. Frankincense during this time was rare, so it was hard to come by, thereby its value was high, and the smell that came from the burning of the frankincense uh, was, again, very unique, um, almost mysterious, and thereby, because of its rarity, its difficulty to obtain, and then the unusual fragrance that came from it, it became associated with worship. So not in absolute exclusion, but in its primary focus, frankincense burning in a, in a situation where the people were around it and deliberately you know, gathering near it, became tied to worship. So its connotation was worship. You smell it, you think of worship, and worshiping a deity. So not even just, just common reflection or meditation, but the, the sense of focusing in on something higher, on worshiping a deity, that was the main association for frankincense. Myrrh is also the inner resin of a tree, a different one, and scraped and formulated and mixed with oils, myrrh became a common ingredient in perfumes. So different types of perfumes worn for different occasions, emitting a smell not quite as unique and powerful and holy as the frankincense odor became during this time, but still something valued and something special. Myrrh was a common ingredient in oils that were, again, general perfume, but also in specific tasks, such as being in the oil that would be anointing a body before burial. So it had, again, a certain odor, a certain mystique to it, um, but it was more not associated with worship, but with the common human experience, perfume to lighten, um, lighten the mood, to change focus, and then in practical sense to anoint bodies before burial. So those were the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that the Magi brought to Jesus. And aren't those odd? That is the next point I want to look at, the oddity of these gifts. Understand that these Magi would have been very wealthy. They would have had positions of access to absolutely anything that they wanted to buy or make or pay somebody to make in order to give in worship to this newborn king. They had free and absolutely unrestricted access to any kind of gift, yet they chose these three. And these three gifts are an odd assembly. First, they are not the gifts you would expect someone to bring for a newborn baby. Think of the possibilities of, of soft cloth, maybe cashmere, or woven with other materials 
that could have been wrapped around a baby or a young child. Think of a robe or a sleeping outfit that could, the child could have worn. Maybe even a piece of handmade furniture, you know, a cradle or some kind of a carrying satchel that the mother could have used to wrap around her to carry the baby. If you're thinking of other possibilities here, Mary could have used some sustenance here, some rich foods, some nourishing, um, vitamin-laden things that she could take into her body so that Jesus would grow stronger. Even gifts for her of a warm woolen cloak or strong shoes, strong sandals of some kind to put on her feet so that her, her feet would be protected and warm. There were all kinds of things, even toys for the child, which not, would not be the same as what we see now for our babies, but still, there were a million other things that could have been more logical choices for gifts for a newborn baby and that baby's family than the three things that were brought by these magi. And yet, they were not random gifts. They were odd choices they were non-standard, but they were not random. Theologian Alfred Ezerheim does a wonderful job of orienting believers to the, the sanctity and the purpose of those gifts. He explains that we should see these gifts not so much as what we think of as practical gifts for a young child, but that these gifts are more in line to what diplomats or foreign exchange students might bring as gifts to somebody in another country. So think about that a moment. Whether you're picturing you know, an ambassador or a student coming to study in the United States from Japan, you're not thinking that that ambassador or that exchange student would bring something that the family, the host family, or the hosting diplomat would need, you're not thinking that, you would expect that that ambassador or that exchange student would bring something that is reflective of his or her own culture. So if you've ever received a gift from someone from another land, that gift, way more often than not, is something that reflects the artistry, the authenticity, the ethnicity, the origins, the sacred treasures of that land. I know that when I have had um, students come to my classroom from Germany, from Russia, um, from Denmark, if I have received an end of semester gift from them, it has been something from their culture. And that is what Edersheim says we should consider from these gifts. So what were these gifts to these magi? Again, they were royal and wealthy, so the gold makes sense. The frankincense would indicate that not only did they have access to wealth, because again, frankincense would have been expensive, but that worship was sacred in their lives, that the, the act of worship was so tightly tied to the burning of frankincense that it was a natural gift for them to select, that worship was so integral in their lives that they would bring a gift tied to worship. And then myrrh has the fragrance 
that, and the potential to be used in perfumes, but also it's a more worldly gift in that it is used in the end of life as well, in the embalming and preparation of a body before burial. And so they bring these things not because the gifts are practical in the highest sense for Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, but because these gifts come from who they are, from what their culture is, and what their culture values. And that leads to this point. The gift that is the most meaningful often says as much or more about the giver than the recipient. Let me speak that again. The gift that has the most importance, is the most meaningful, the most profound, often speaks more about the giver than the recipient. Think through your own experience with gifts, if you would. I imagine in your lifetime, even in the most recent Christmas season, you have received some pretty cool gifts. But if you had to isolate in your head the most treasured gift that you have received, it very well could be that hand-crocheted sweater from your grandmother, or that hand-drawn crayon picture from your child. Those gifts that come from the giver in a way that reflects more than a purchase and instead reflects a true heart-level personal experience, those gifts have more value than anything that has a price tag with double, triple, or more digits. The gifts often speak more about the giver than the recipient. So what does that say here? The Magi knew that Jesus was born. They knew it in the core of their being. They knew not only that he had been born, but that they had to go and worship him. So in their preparations to journey and follow this star that led them across mile after mile, probably traveling on foot, maybe on horse or on the back of donkey, whatever, but long, arduous travel, they knew they had to go because they had to be there to worship. But they didn't go empty-handed. They brought gifts that they wanted to give. They brought gifts that they felt would be honoring, but in the choice of those gifts, they gave of themselves. They reflected to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus who they were. And in that personal rendering of a gift that was special to them and indicative of who they were, they worshiped Jesus. The gold that Mary received on behalf of Jesus could have and probably did finance some of their travels as they escaped from the, the murderous rage of Herod when Herod found that the Magi had not returned and had not told him where Jesus was. The frankincense, we can only imagine what that was used for in Mary and Joseph and Jesus' life. But we know that Jesus was the son of deity and deity himself in this child who was also God. It is fitting that frankincense be present from his very early days onward 
in that there is a link to worship and there's a holiness that is always with him. And the myrrh certainly could have been something that Mary appropriated to some kind of perfume during her lifetime, but it was also a tangible reminder of the humanity of this little child, that one day he would reach the end of his time in human form on this earth, and he would have a body that would need to be wiped in oil and prepared for burial. So the gifts don't seem quite as unusual when you look at it through those eyes. What does it say for us? We know that there are all kinds of things for us to hold on to in the story of Christmas. But what do these gifts say for us? I want to tell you a story about a young girl named Kaylee Rogers. Kaylee is a young child who lives in Ireland. She was born pretty normal, just a little child, not a deity, not anything different from you and I. As she grew up, her parents realized there was something different about her. She wouldn't make eye contact with others. Her reactions to social stimuli were off. She also couldn't focus on one thing or another. She didn't laugh at the appropriate times, nor did she cry at the appropriate times. Something was different about Kaylee. They had her tested, and she received the diagnosis of autism, which of course, in today's day and age, is so much more prominent, so much more recognized. And if you know somebody who is autistic, you know that their minds can be brilliant inside, but they have an inadequacy in normal social interactions. Imagine having every thought that you have now, but being locked into a glass box of sorts, where you can't express those thoughts, you can't show the affection, you can't show the concern, and you can't receive any of it either. Kaylee was sent to a special school for children with disabilities in Ireland. And in that school, she was quiet, she didn't focus, she wasn't learning. Until music class. And in music class, she sat up straighter, and her ears turned toward the piano, and turned toward the singing voices around her. And Kaylee found her voice. A couple of years ago, right before Christmas, Kaylee's school in Ireland released a video of Kaylee singing with her compatriots, children with all disabilities in the background, backing her up. I want us to pause for a few minutes and I want you to watch this video. I want you as you listen to Kaylee's voice and watch her and see the children in the background, I want you to think about the gift that Kaylee is offering through this song. Here you go. 
That little girl can barely speak. She is so locked into her box of autism. She can sing like an angel. Friends, what if, please listen to this radical idea, what if the thing that you can do the best, the talent, the passion, the skill, that thing that is the easiest and most enjoyable and sensational, what if that is the gift that God gave you in order to worship Jesus? What if the talent that absolutely feeds your soul was meant not just to feed your soul, 
but to worship Jesus. What if God looked down upon you and said, I know you're not confident, and maybe you don't read well, or maybe you don't have superb mathematical skills, or maybe you aren't physically strong, or maybe you are old and tired, or maybe you have an illness that is compromising your well-being. But I still give you this gift, and through this gift, I want you to have joy, but through this gift, I want you to worship Jesus. Isn't that an interesting and awesome idea? We all have different gifts. We all do. Thank goodness we are not all gifted the same way. Anytime I visit a teacher in a kindergarten classroom, I love being there, and I love leaving there <laughs> because I am not gifted to be with the little ones. They would probably, those teachers, go running from my classroom with my teenagers whom I adore. I have been gifted with the ability to sometimes speak well. I love doing it. That may terrify you. You have perhaps been given the gift of being highly organized, or being an incredible listener, or loving even when loving is difficult. You may have been given the gift to bake and cook beautiful, wonderful, amazing things. You may have been given the gift of number calculating, figuring out stocks and finances, and calculating things for the betterment of a situation. Your patience may be so phenomenal. Your calm in a crisis situation may be enormous. Your musical gifts, your athletic gifts, any of those gifts, friends, those are from God. He gave you those the same way that the Magi gave Mary and Joseph and Jesus the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what if those gifts in your life, the things that you're like, all right, yeah, I've got this, I love doing this, what if those things are not just meant to give you a respite from the rest of this life that is not so full of joy, what if instead those gifts are both meant to give you joy and meant to open up an avenue where you can worship Jesus? What would that even look like? If you are the baker and the cook, maybe not just bake and cook, but bake and cook and give, and in the giving to those in need, those who are sick, those who don't have what you have, that is worship. What if you can run faster than the wind, and that's not just joyful to you, but in running, you maybe have a chance to coach or mentor a younger runner or a child who has never run before. Or when you win your race, you give God the glory. That is worship. Or you who can organize things and you always have a plan, maybe not just enjoy doing those things, but plan some things that will build other people up 
and that will worship Jesus. How about that radical angle of a gift here? How about not just savoring the gifts that you have as an individual, but using them in a way that will worship our Lord? Please look inside your bulletin for a small insert on top of which, at the top of the page, should say, My Gift. Please pull that out. If you have a pen or a pencil in your wallet or purse, please pull that out. I am going to challenge you right now to prayerfully consider what your best gifts are. Those gifts that are your superb talents. Whether they are huge and booming, or whether they are quiet, whether they are related to outward exhibitions of talent, such as singing, or whether they are related to the inward building up of one person to another, such as listening, loving, forgiving. I challenge you right now, on your sheet, to write down one or more gifts that you have, And none of this, oh, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. God does not make his children to walk this world without gifts. He would not be a loving father if he were to do so. Search your heart. Be honest with yourself. What gifts do you have? Write them down. As you are writing them, as you are shaping those letters, I want you to realize that God gave you those gifts. They are yours. It is not being boastful to acknowledge those gifts. It is being a thankful, grateful, loving child to say, yeah, I do this well. I do this thing well. You know what? I also do that thing well. Praise God. I am good at this, and I'm also pretty good at this. And no, I'm not going to let any of those thoughts of what I'm not good at come into my mind right now. I am receiving and acknowledging the gifts that God has given me. If you do not have a pen, I ask you to imagine what you would write on this page. Put those things onto this paper in your mind as truly as a pen or a pencil would. And when you have put one or more things that you are grateful to have received from God, fold your paper. We are going to have a time of worship now, a reenactment of sorts. In front of me is the manger. In that manger, there is Mary, there is Joseph. There are animals, there are angels, shepherds, wise men. And more than that, as we gratefully know, there is Jesus. The wise men, the magi, came from miles away to bring their gifts to Jesus. Hallelujah. They bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures apparently impractical and odd as those treasures were. 
and holy and reverent and reflective of them as well. They gave those gifts to Jesus. In the next moments, while music quietly plays, I am going to ask you to come to the manger, to stand from your seats, and come to the manger and lay your gifts, your pieces of paper, at the base of the manger. And as you do, either out loud or whispered or in your heart, tell Jesus, tell Jesus that you are giving this gift, that you are grateful for this gift, that you love him, and that you have come now and always to worship him. If you do not wish to come forward, please use this time quietly and prayerfully to reflect on the gifts that God has given you. Once you've returned to your seat, if you do come forward, just sit in quiet prayer and reflection that the gifts you have, you are now giving to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Alleluia. <laughs>